Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussions. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me on this late Tuesday evening is my co-host and friend, Coleste. Hey, everybody. It's a late night, but we're right here rocking with y'all. That's right. We do it for the people. And because we do it for the people, and because we do it for ourselves, and it's a late night, we're going to get right into things. Our format is straightforward. We're going to talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and then we're going to make a recommendation for you. Simple, short, and much importance for this specific episode, always spoiler-free. I'll talk more about that when we get to one of the movies that it affects more than the others. To get started, we're going to talk about Guillermo del Toro's newest film, Nightmare Alley. Now, if I'm correct, this is his first outing since coming off of his Best Picture win. Is that right, Kles? Yes, you're correct. The movie stars Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, Rooney Mara, Ron Perlman, Mary Steenburgen, and David Strathern. It is directed and written by Guillermo del Toro. It was also written by Kim Morgan and is based on the 1946 novel of the same name by William Lindsay Gresham. There is a previous version of this film that was made as well, back I believe in the 40s, and it is available on the Criterion channel. There's a nice edition of it, and I highly recommend it. I watched it after seeing this new version and really liked it a lot. What's it about? In 1940s New York, down on his luck, Stanton Carlisle endears himself to a clairvoyant and her mentalist husband at a traveling carnival. Using newly acquired knowledge, Carlisle crafts a golden ticket to success by swindling the elite and wealthy. Hoping for a big score, he soon hatches a scheme to con a dangerous tycoon with help from a mysterious psychiatrist who might be his most formidable opponent yet. Now, Coles, we both went into this trailer-free as we have done most of this year. I don't think either one of us knew a lick about it at all, other than who was in the cast and what the title of the movie was. So... I want to always want to give our listeners that perspective that that's where we're coming from with this. So what stood out to you about this? What did you like? Because I'm pretty sure we came down on different sides. Speaking about how we didn't know what was going to happen and what was going on in this film, I expected for this to be something where Bradley Cooper was going to be a half man, half beast or something like that, given the poster. I did as well. <laughs> Especially that poster. Yep. There's an air of mystery, noir, and drama mixed together with this film. And what you see is that this film is more of a character study than we give it credit for, than many people are going to give it credit for. Bradley Cooper, he plays this guy who is charismatic, he's dashing, you know, and he's good at what he does. But also at the same time, he's he's a POS, <laughs> to be frank. He is a... Um, He's a douche, and you know, but you can't help but be enamored by him. And it's very hard for many actors to pull off that kind of two-faced performance. But he does a very good job in this film. He he plays a man that becomes too enamored with his gifts. There's a quote that goes, "The pride comes before the fall." Well, this character really fits that description. It's a guy that he lets what he does well get to his head, and it ends up getting him into a lot of trouble into selling him down a dark path and he doesn't even realize it and we travel from the circus you know the first half kind of builds kind of very slow a little bit we get a lot of exposition we get a lot of world building we get to meet all these new different characters and the ensemble cast is wonderful i mean it's a who's who of everybody's favorite actors you got tony collette you got william defoe you got ron perlman 
you have Kate Blanchett, and I said in my review, has there been an actor in this current generation who is more consistent than Kate Blanchett? I mean, just name any film that she's been in. It doesn't matter we take if the her film for is granted. Yeah, yeah we, we take do. her for granted. It doesn't matter if the film is good or bad. You know that Kate Blanchett is going to be good, no matter what. And she's amazing in this. I mean, her and Bradley have a simmer have a simmering chemistry between them. In other words, that is like hot, like not close to the level of a basic instinct, but close to the level where you can tell, like, wow, like it's you know, it, it kind of makes you sweat a little bit and. You also have this production design. You kind of move from this sloppy, kind of, not sloppy, but just like really dirty and just like out of the neck of the woods, circus, traveling circus. And then you go to New York and you get all these nice interiors and you get these, this lovely costume design. And also it feels like, you know, there's not a lot of people that are smoking in this film, but I felt there were some scenes where you could see smoke in the air. And it kind of gave me a little bit of that 1940s feel, which is convenient because there's a novel, like you said, the novel was written in 1946 and there's a 1947 film. Also, I do love that this movie kind of is a full circle film. Like at the beginning, you find this character, you know, down on his luck, trying to figure out what he's going to do. And then in the end, you know, it kind of comes all back together. And I love films that kind of resolve themselves. That kind of ha- they kind of it kind of acts like an allegory or a parable, kind of like one of those fables that you would read as a kid or get taught, you know, by your parents and everything. And Guillermo del Toro, I mean, this is a film unlike any of his previous works that I can really think of. You know, we when we think of del Toro, we think of Hellboy, we think of The Shape of Water, we think of Paz um, Pond's Labyrinth, we think of all of these like science fiction fantasy kind of films, but this one is kind of more um, grounded. And it plays almost like a, any other kind of film drama that you can see on the silver screen any year. And I kind of like that. I kind of like that there's variety in this. And it come up, it's kind of like a contrast from what you usually see from Del Toro. Um, I'm in love with this film. I mean, Rooney Mara. I, I can't forget Rooney Mara. Forgive me. I can't forget about her. She's also good in this. Uh, this film is excellent to me it's wonderful i I consider it is among one of my best of the year and pretty much when i was sitting in the seat watching it i pretty much didn't keep my eyes off the screen it was compelling from start to finish i'm glad that you had such a good experience (laughs) with this movie (laughs) i liked things about this movie too so you're not alone uh kate blanchett like you said awesome just phenomenal she has this ability and i think we covered don't look up last week i I can't remember there's been so many movies everything blends together but i remember talking about her when we talked when i when i or when i reviewed don't look up and in that she was just captivating to me and she kind of stole the show in a lot of ways even though she was one of the more supporting characters same concept here she's the takeaway for me is every scene with her in it was so strong now that kind of had a negative effect at times as well for the rest of the film but when she's there she is just mesmerizing and dude she was born for film noir she was born to play this psychiatrist dame character who is much stronger than you might normally think a film noir dame is going to be and the way in which she 
evolves from when he meets her to the end of her arc is really fascinating and intriguing to watch. So I liked her a lot. In fact, a lot of the performances is what stuck out to me. Richard Jenkins plays, I don't want to call him a villain, he's a jerk, but he is the person that Bradley Cooper is ultimately trying to finagle money from at the end of the film. And I did not like his character. His character is a complete, sleazy, just awful, awful human being. But that's why I like the performance is because Richard Jenkins completely sold it for me. I just was like, when you can hate a character that much, it says a lot about the acting, especially someone like Richard Jenkins, who can play like the lovable teddy bear grandfather type figure who you want to, you know, have dinner with. Yeah, it's like it's like when he when he's in Get Out, right? He's able to do these very vastly different type of characters. So I really liked him. David Strathairn, again, also, I think he is just an underrated character actor. And his performance was the one that I probably emotionally connected to the most in the film. He's one of the performers in the circus that uh, Bradley Cooper's character ultimately uh, wanders into and he has some interactions with. He actually learns a bunch of the mentalism tricks from the character that David Statham plays. And so I really like that. Otherwise, technical elements, production value, production design, cinematography, this is gorgeous. It is stylish. I think it glossiness maybe kind of ultimately works a little bit against it as well because it doesn't quite get that noir feel to it that I expected. It's not nearly as grimy as I expected it to be. I thought it was going to be more monstrous and like we talked about with Cooper's character, I thought there was going to be a horror element to this. The horror comes in the psychological format and it's more of a human horror, right? Of look what people can do to each other. And I, I was expecting, because it was Del Toro, for there to be some sort of literal monster. And that that's not the case. Which I actually kind of appreciated, because I hadn't seen the original, so I didn't know what it was about. Uh, when I did see the original, it's a little bit shorter. So this actually expands some on the story. I don't know if it expands on the book, but it expands it from the previous adaptation. And I liked the expansion of the story as well and there's specifically the way that the movie ends there's a scene in it in in del toro's version that is much much better and satisfying than the way that the previous film ends and yeah i, I just think that you know it's there's stuff that i didn't hate watching it right um, but it's i'll just transition it's long okay so my dislikes this is one of those movies that we are in this cycle of here at the end of the year it feels like everything is two and a half hours long and for me there are some of you know movies that are able to keep me captivated and interested for that whole runtime and others just don't this one did not i did not love bradley cooper's performance and character in this i thought that cooper slipped in and out of his accent from a star is born frequently he would talk somewhat normal, and then all of a sudden he'd go real Jackson Maine gruff. And every time he would do it, it just completely took me out of the moment. And there's even a line in this where he says something to Kate Blanchett. He says something like, I just wanted to take a good look at you, which is almost exactly verbatim his famous line from A Star is Born. And he says it just like that. And I was like, come on, man. Like, this is not... Fil 
the problem is it's inconsistent for me. It was like I needed to be sucked into that film noir feel, and you were you were playing with my the tone in a way that I didn't work for me. The movie's not very funny. It's not very scary. I didn't really think it was very mysterious. I didn't think it was very suspenseful. It's really not romantic in any way. And I thought it was mostly very uninteresting, Coles, story-wise. It's dark, but there was not a single plot direction that I felt was surprising. And I had no connection to any of the characters in a way that made me care one bit what happened to them. Outside of maybe Bradley Cooper's wife character played by Rooney Mara. But even then, I felt she was so undersold to me in a way that made me care about her emotionally. I mean, I knew she was kind of being taken advantage of and she was in a, you know, in a raw state, but I just didn't, there's not enough from her to make me latch on to that in a way that I think is necessary. And I, I watched the original afterwards and it really made me understand that I think casting a bunch of named stars in this movie in these bit parts was a little more distracting than anything and it kind of pulled me away when I watched the original and I really didn't know who any of the actors were I, I felt much more immersed in this story and this noir and here I was looking at the actors versus being able to connect to the story I just thought it was, and it that was pretty boring, to be honest. I felt like I needed coffee to wake up and get through it, and that's never a pleasant way to walk out of a film. So, did was there anything that you didn't like about it, even though it's it's really high up there for you, or just all wins? I am your brother in arms when it comes to these two and a half hour films <laughs> that we have been treated to during this um, award season. I don't have a problem with long films, but honestly. You know, if I can take your film and I can just cut 30 minutes from it and be like, hey, there's a much superior film, your film is too long. Honestly, the first 30 minutes of this film, it, it's a little bit of a try to try to get you engaged. Like you have to kind of sit down, hunker down and try to just press through it because there's a lot of explanation. There's a lot of, hey, there's this character and here's this character and there's that character. And I mean, yes, I understand you're trying to set this world up, but... It doesn't feel necessary, especially since these other bit characters like Willem Dafoe's character, uh, Ron Perlman's character, and like all these other people that are working in the circus, they really don't have an effect on the greater story, especially when it comes to the second half. By the second half, they're all toast. They they really don't do anything. I mean, they have a scene where they all come back, but it feels like, hey, you remember these actors? We Remember we had them in this film? Here you go. And that's it. So I would definitely trim off some minutes from this film. And honestly, the only three characters that are really that compelling and really have a sense of like importance in the story would be Bradley Cooper's, Kate Blanchett's, Richard Jenkins, in a sense, and Rooney Mara's. And that's about it. That's all I can really suffice. I, I really liked it more than, I loved it more than you did. And this is just one of those films that we're just going to be opposite on. But I agree with you for some parts. <laughs> Well, that's okay. That's We're different people. We have different likes and dislikes. And for those that line up with you, then they know what they're going to get now. Um, and, and I think that a lot of folks are going to really dig this one. I may be an outlier and I can own that. may not be the last time I'm an outlier on this very podcast. We shall see. This film will be available in theaters on December 17th. So 
guessing you're feeling it and giving it a hearty recommendation? Yes, I'm feeling it. Go to the theater, watch it. What a great time. I can't. I, I, I'm so used to saying, yeah, you know, it's worth it. I don't think it's worth your time. Not right now. Not with West Side Story in theaters. Not with Spider-Man hitting this week. I just think that there's Matrix is coming next week. I mean, there are so many good films out right now that you can go spend your money on. A bunch of indie gems. I think it's worth skipping, personally, and watching at home. You know, you're going to... I guess get your money's worth from a visual standpoint. So there's always that. That's always a plus. But yeah, I'm just not a fan. It is what it is. We'll move on. Well, next is The Tinder Bar, starring Ben Affleck, Ty Sheridan, Daniel Ranieri, Lily Robb, Max Martini, Brianna Middleton, and Christopher Lloyd. It is directed by George Clooney, and it was written by William Monaghan, and based on the 2005 memoir of the same name by J.R. Moringer. What's it about? In 1972, nine-year-old J.R. Maguire, they made his name simpler for this, moves into his grandfather's dilapidated house in Long Island, New York. Searching for a father figure, he falls under the unconventional tutelage of his Uncle Charlie, a charismatic, self-educated bartender who introduces him to a handful of the bar's colorful regulars. As the years pass and J.R. grows into a young man, he tries to fulfill his dream of becoming a writer. So, Kles, I have a, one of our friends, one of our fellow critics in SFCS who made a point about this saying he wasn't a real fan and he was like, I'm tired of movies about writers, about people trying to become writers. He was saying that he just does not connect with that in a very big way and that there are too many of them and they're all the same. It's hard to disagree. They are pretty much all the same. Look, this is a very simple film, but I think it's also an affecting film, and it, and it has a wholesomeness to it that made me feel really good. What I liked about it, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck steals this show. It's his movie. He uses his Boston, Boston accent because that's where it's, it's set in that area of New England, and so he's able to kind of be himself, and that is always a treat. I think it is really refreshing to see him play a genuine good guy. He has no layers of issues to overcome in this movie. He doesn't have to come back from being a jerk to, a, you know, a past spouse or wife or, you know, he's not overcoming alcoholism. He is a good dude. And it's almost weird seeing Ben Affleck be a good dude because you're so used to him having like the, even as Batman, like he's depressed and he's got all his problems. Not the case here. He's a guy that you want to be your Uncle Charlie. He's caring. He is very knowledgeable about both the world and about life. And he doesn't try to force his way into this kid's life as a father figure. He just steps up when no one else is there. This dude's dad is a downbeat dad. He doesn't play child support. He's kind of, kind of, you would almost call him like internet famous in today's uh, lingo. He's a DJ on the radio. And so his voice is well known, but he doesn't have any interest in being a real father. The kid is a highlight. He's played by this, this guy named Daniel Ranieri, and he plays the young version of JR. And he was actually discovered, I listened to a podcast interview with George Clooney. He was discovered on, I think, TikTok. Somebody brought him a TikTok of this kid. And this kid was never an actor. He's one of my favorite performances of the, of the year. So 
really knocks it out of the park, I thought. And it's just a very sweet family story about a guy, a kid, growing up in this area with this group of people around him supporting him that are all sacrificing and all giving of themselves to help give him the best life possible when he doesn't have this father figure in his life. So it's it's heartwarming. The second half of the film, I guess if I dislike anything, it, once it shifts into an older JR with Ty Sheridan playing the character, I love Ty Sheridan, but it, it's a lot more boring. It's not nearly as captivating. He goes off to college and he you know, has a girlfriend and has issues with that and he struggles with finding his voice and working for a paper and trying to get to the point where is he going to write or is he not going to write? The best part of that section is still his conversations with Ben Affleck at the bar, right? Even when he's older. But it just, the the story beats that are happening in his life, they're kind of blah and they're not really that exciting. And that's what our friend was getting at was he's like, nothing happens to this dude. It's not a wild, crazy life with a bunch of, you know, big and bombastic events it's just him going through a fairly normal type of life which is realistic but doesn't always make for great cinema i guess so i liked it i liked it a lot and i think that it's very tame and it, it will let's see it'll be available in theaters on december 17th pretty sure it's going to come to amazon prime at some point because that's who put this one out so I don't have a date for that. I will say not a theater movie by any stretch of the imagination, especially not right now, but absolutely worth checking out once it hits a streaming service. It's the perfect kind of movie to put on at home, enjoy yourself a little Ben Affleck performance and some heartwarming, wholesome goodness and great advice and great dialogue and some funny jokes and you know leave with that warm hearted feel and move on to the next thing. With that, let's move on to the star of our show tonight, and that is the movie that we just got home from seeing ourselves, Spider-Man No Way Home, The Big Dog. I'll re-say what I kind of alluded to up front. No spoilers. This is going to be short. I'm going to be honest. Coles and I are going to dance around everything we can with this movie. The only things we're going to talk about are going to be related to the villains in the movie, that were introduced in the trailers and or the posters for the, the marketing of the movie. We're not going to talk about anything that potentially happens outside of those characters, okay? And we'll do our best to tell you what we can, but we're going to err in the side of keeping your experience as pure as ours was going in. The movie, of course, stars Tom Holland as Spider-Man, Zendaya, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jacob Batalon, John Favreau, Marissa Tomei, J.B. Smoove, Benedict Wong, Jamie Foxx, Alfred Molina, Willem Dafoe, Thomas Hayden Church, and Riss Efans. It is directed by John Watts, and it is written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. What's it about? Movie picks up literally the moment at the end of the last film, Far From Home. I love it when movies do that, by the way, and it, it is it actually replays through the credits the last part of that movie. It's awesome. It's actually the post credit scene from Far From Home that is replaying through the credits of this movie, the opening. With Spider-Man's identity now revealed, our friendly neighborhood web-slinger is unmasked and no longer able to separate his normal life as Peter Parker from the high stakes of being a superhero. 
When Peter asks for help from Doctor Strange to restore his secret identity with magic, the stakes become even more dangerous. Breaking open the multiverse and forcing him to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man. Kales, I will let you get us started. What did you like about this? One, I did like... This film takes a lot of swings. It really does take swings for some heavy moments that I didn't see coming. And it's not just dealing with, you know, characters dying. It also deals with certain aspects of Spider-Man's character. Certain aspects of what Peter Parker is going to have to go through, not just in this film, but for any future Spider-Man films that are coming our way. Like, there was a statement I could give this film, is that nothing's going to be the same after this. Uh, I don't see how, you know, you return to what the general tone is of Spider-Man after No Way Home. I I don't see how that's possible. Also, there is a bit of fan service and nostalgia, but I like to preface that because this isn't the nostalgia fan service where, okay, we're going to put in all of these things that we know that fans are going to like, but we're not going to give you a story. Um, if, for example, Rise of Skywalker, for example, Wrath Breaks the Internet. Those are examples of films where it felt like that the nostalgia and the fan service was put in in order to hide away the flaws that are in the narrative. This film, I think, does a credible job of bringing back certain characters that we have grown, loved, and enjoyed watching and not make it feel too overbloated, in a sense. I mean, these are just initial thoughts. Like, who knows if I'm going to feel the same way when I wake up, you know, tomorrow morning. But for right now, I can say that this film does a great job with his fan service, and with bringing back certain kind of characters. The villains, it was nice to see Doc Ock again. It was nice to see Green Goblin. It was nice to see Electro. It was nice to see Sandman. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm a very easy person to please when it comes to certain kind of films. And if you're a superhero film and you're going to bring back certain nemesis, you know, then I'm going to be all for it. Uh, I like the visuals for the most part especially there is a certain sequence where dr strange and spider-man are having a a one-on-one fight and it's pretty amazing how they do the mirror dimensions and just these different like visual effects all colliding together it's a pretty awesome sequence and tom holland i mean there's going to be some controversy a lot of people say toby mcguire's the better spider-man people say garfield's the better spider-man but for me if i had to pick one Holland's my guy, and of course, he does a good job in this film. I I have nothing bad to say about him. He once again carries the torch. And it was nice just seeing the carryover from Far From Home into this film as well. I Like you, I like it when films just pick it up right where it ends off. Just right back onto the ride and just go from there, and I love that. So for me, I would say that No Way Home... Right now, the way I'm feeling it, it's probably going to end up being one of my favorite adventures in the, in the Spider-Man universe. Who knows I'm going to be feeling this way a day after I take together my thoughts, but for right now, I can say that I wholeheartedly enjoy this film, and it's worth big screen experience, most definitely. Yeah, I you know, there's a lot to love about this. It was 
a joyful experience in a lot of ways. The movie and the way the villains are used, specifically not the way that they're used in a battle type of way, but the way that their story plays out, it's so hard to talk about, is very interesting and, and very unique and intriguing. And I think it plays into the journey that Tom Holland's Spider-Man has been on over the course of his trilogy and where it's taking his Peter Parker. The things that happen in this movie that trigger the events of this multiverse and the way in which he interacts with the villains are really cool. And it leads to some very high stakes for him. And it ends with some incredibly emotional outcomes that I think are very affecting in a lot of ways. It was fun to see these guys come back and do their thing again. There is at least one or two really outstanding swinging segments of this movie where Tom Holland is flying around. And I really wish that we could have seen it in IMAX. I hate that we didn't because I think that it would look a lot better in IMAX than it looked for us. I just think that the aspect ratio, and I'm going to mention something about that in a second that I thought was a problem. But yeah, the visuals are are hit and miss, but I think that there are some sequences that are really outstanding. Ned and MJ get a lot more to do. So if you're into Ned and MJ, they're going to be a bigger part of this. And ultimately, my favorite part about this movie is the ending. I think you said this at the beginning here, but where it takes Peter Parker in the future, the, the place that it sets him up to go forward in the MCU has me way more excited than anything I've seen previously from Tom Holland and Peter Parker. And it was actually the best part of this movie in a way for me because the movie was good, but it led to this moment and this payoff for me, this direction is worth everything that I just went through and is probably more exciting than the thing that I just saw in general. I do have some issues, though, and I'll, I'm going to be honest about them. Like, I didn't think the CGI was great at times. I thought that it was very, very obvious that there were fake backgrounds and characters on them or in them. I think that the villains, for me didn't quite live up to the hype. I know that a lot of people are going to just love seeing these villains back and, you know, doing their shtick all over again, especially Willem Dafoe. I mean, you could hear it in the theater. Listen, this movie is going to be awesome from a communal crowd perspective. I can't wait to go opening night with my kid and listen to the oohs and the ahs and the screams and the squeals and the pointing and, and just, it's going to be so much fun to watch like that. But only some of those things actually hit for me personally. I thought that you're taking a bunch of villains here that we've watched have the whole show all to themselves in their solo stories. And even though I liked the thematic arc that they're they're part of here, individually speaking, I just don't know that they added a lot to me. And, and having so many people, listen, this is one of my biggest problems with this whole trilogy, that I, I love this trilogy. I love it. I love all the Spider-Man. I love all the Spider-Man movies, right? I love this whole thing. But Tom Holland's is decidedly less about him. He's been part of the Avengers. He's been in space. He's 
always got all these other things going on, right? Probably his last movie, which is the one I love the most, Far From Home, is the one that is the most fully 100% about him, I think. Even more so than his origin story in a lot of ways. But this movie, he's part of the show. And there are so many big-name villains and Doctor Strange and even with Ned and MJ getting into the mix. There's so many other things and people happening. He can kind of get lost, even though the big emotional arc is his. So the payoff is there, but moment to moment, it's not always him. It's not always his. And so I just kind of got tired of like him having to share the screen and the, the spotlight all the time. And so... I'm ex- I'm hopeful that he gets to have his own thing eventually. You know, he said that he's going to return, and I would love to see that. The other thing that I really had an issue with could be IMAX related. It's that I felt like Coles seventy five to like ninety percent of this movie was shot in close up, and it did not work for me. It it kind of took me out of some emotional moments because they felt really forced to me because of the way the camera was like right up on somebody's face. Like the whole movie screen was like a face and or corso it just over and over and over it was like zooms 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 and and i'm i'm hoping that that's simply because in imax it's more stretched out and maybe we see more of the body i don't know that and you know the cgi i'm hoping the aspect ratio was an issue but yeah i for me overall i it's the least favorite of this trilogy and i don't feel it's a, it's, it's a movie that is so steeped in nostalgia to kind of be its vehicle that even while I enjoy the story being told, I got my fan service out of it. I had fun. And it's because of that, it's not something that I'm going to want to revisit. I think that, oh, I, saw, I also think the first half of this movie is very tonally inconsistent. It's got a lot of comedy and then it kind of really turns serious and gets real dour and, and it changes drastically in like the second half of the movie the first half the comedy was not hitting for me it's always worked for me in homecoming and always worked for me in far from home but in this one it just didn't and i'm also wondering if part of that is look these kids are still supposedly in high school i i don't know how i'm i'm glad that this is their graduation year based on what they say is happening in this movie because i think that we need to stop pretending that they're 17 because you don't buy it you just don't buy it. And I think maybe that might have been some of the issues that I had in the first half of the film. It just didn't, wasn't a banger for me. It was fine. So, yeah, that's where I land. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie. But I think it has a lot of awesome experiential moments in it. And obviously, I'm a, I'm a fan overall. But, but was there anything that stood out to you that you didn't particularly like? This is a tale of two of two halves. Uh, the first half definitely inferior to the second half. I strongly agree with you right there. It wasn't until the second half where I really felt that I was engaged with the film. First half had the typical MCU beats in it. You know, you had a lot of these um you know, comedy set pieces, which is going to work for a lot more people. It's going to work for somebody like me because I'm used I'm used to them. I'm used to the formula. I'm used to the routine. And yes, it's cool. It's charming. You know, Spider-Man is a guy that's not meant to be really drowned in darkness like a Batman or something like that. So he needs to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He needs to have that sense of um, hijinks and humor. But 
some of the comedy just doesn't work for me. Also, I do feel that adding a lot of these characters that we see come into the film does take away a little bit from the film itself. It does become more about seeing these familiar faces than actually engaging with the story. Now, for me, I do like most of it, but there, there is, towards the second half of the film, no spoilers, seeing some characters come back, it felt like, okay, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to get some easy party points, easy brownie points with the audience bringing these characters back. And honestly, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know how to feel about it. I I like it in a sense, but in another world, I kind of would rather that they didn't do it, you know, because it's so it's so easy. <laughs> so there's a there's an alternate Coles somewhere that's kind of not liking it as much as this Coles in our world or our universe. <laughs> yes, there's a there's another version of me in the multiverse that does not like it because, like you said, it can get overbloated. It can get to become too much, and it can get to become to where. You know, Spider-Man is not the focal point of the story. It's it's becoming all about these villains and about all these other characters that get to join in, you know, into the room. And it can get a little bit crowded sometimes. But for me, it's... I feel that this film is pretty good. Now, who knows how I'm still going to feel that way, you know, hours from now. Um... It's hard to really say it because we're right in the moment and we can't really get into some of the big elements of it because we don't, of course, we're not here to spoil anything for the fans out there. So I would say for anybody out there who's been following the series, go into this film and, you know, let it surprise you and, you know, come in with a clear mind and see where it falls in on it. I mean, it's going to depend on if you're a fan of the other Tom Holland films like Homecoming, Far From Home. I love those films. This film, I still have yet to really register how it's going to fall in with those two other films. But for right now, I think it's very enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're both, you know, our recommendations to go see it. I don't think you even need us to say that because you're already going to go see it. This movie's probably going to break 200 million for the first time in the pandemic. It's going to be the blockbuster that we all know that theaters need. And it, it, everybody's going to go see it. Everybody's already got their tickets. So, but if you're listening to this, I think maybe the thing to take away is maybe temper your expectations some that it's not going to be the perfect movie for every single person that maybe we all hoped it would be that there are some issues with it. It's not that elite, you know, Avengers infinity war level for me or for Coles. And so go see it. And I think the other part of our recommendation, and I know Coles would agree with me is go see it on the biggest screen possible. Please do not watch it. It baffles me that they make us watch these things, man. It drives me nuts that we don't get to see uh, them and review them in their best format. But we didn't. I'm so glad I have my own IMAX tickets already bought and waiting on me for opening night because I'm going to be there and I can't wait to see it. So go see it with a big crowd. Go see it on IMAX. Have a blast. You're going to enjoy it, whether it's your favorite Spider-Man movie or not. Who cares? That is the big thing that I just want people to stop fighting. Stop worrying about it. When Patrick and I do our big episode on this coming up over the weekend, I think we're going to rank all our Spider-Man favorites. But the thing is, we like them all. We love them all. We love the video games. There's some stuff in this one, actually, that I think is very reminiscent of some of the video game fights that is really neat. We love Spider-Man. Like, 
there's a baseline, you know, of like and love for this character that is going to carry you through no matter what. So that's what we have to say. Last thing before we go, I almost forgot, but I wanted to tell you, the new movie, Clifford the Big Red Dog, is now out and home for the holidays. When Clifford grows 10 feet tall overnight, he and his friends are chased across the city in this brand new adventure that critics are calling 100% fun for the entire family. I haven't seen it yet, but I have no doubt that being the new puppy lover that I am, that I am going to fall right in line, and I am actually very excited to get a chance to watch this. Again, not expecting a masterpiece, but I know that I'm going to have fun because it's about a dog. Like, how can you not enjoy a movie about a dog? You can buy Clifford the Big Red Dog right now on digital and get supersized special features, including deleted scenes, information about the movie-making magic, and much more from a, a vast amount of participating retailers. It's rated PG, so it's great for the whole family, and it's brought to you by Paramount Pictures. We have five codes to this movie to give away, and here's how we're going to do it. Send us a picture of your dog on social media so that we can get enjoyment from being happy by seeing your pups. You can send it to us on Twitter at FeelinFilm. You can join the FeelinFilm Facebook group and post it there. You can send it to us at our email address. There's all kinds of social media links in the show notes to this episode. I don't care how you get it to us, but the first five people that brighten our day by sending us a picture of their dog, we're going to brighten your day by sending you a copy of this movie via digital code. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We've enjoyed this. Hopefully, these movies will hit the spot for you and you will love them. If so, please find us on social media. You can talk to us on Twitter at Feelin' Film or you can find Coles at Black Nerd Magic. You can talk to us both in the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. We would love to hear your thoughts on these movies. We will be back soon next week with another big blockbuster to discuss. Until then, keep watching movies and keep feeling film. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then... Stay positive and keep feeling film.